0: It makes me very anxious to think about other people who may or may not write a series of books who just say, uh, hopefully it will resolve itself in books That's it. In my mind. Is that, that you? As me? Lo- blows my mind. I'm like, Charles, are you not panicking right now?
1: Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, and a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest.
0: Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Rights for Women podcast. My name is Jo and I'm the author of The Branded, which you can see behind me, uh, which came out last week and it, <laughs> with the sequel arising out in October next year. Uh, it is my great pleasure to have on the show tonight, Stacey McEwan. Stacey, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. I feel like I should have got to... a. <laughs> get where's your poster come on oh i got it hang on I'm keep moving to the wrong side yeah <laughs> you need to get I'm that I'm so glad you said that <laughs> oh look you've completely power moved <laughs> out power moved. <laughs> that was so unintentional I love it we made that for me it. and I've just got it lying on the ground that you need to sit on your wall for sure. <laughs> and not that I don't think a lot, I think a lot of people already know what the book looks like and, and have been exposed to it because let's celebrate an amazing win that you had last week, I think, in Sydney, where you went on daytime TV, which I is did. almost unheard of for anyone who's not basically J.K. Rowling or Dan Brown, basically. So how did you feel about that? Oh, god, I was it was such a weird experience so first of all my pu- my lovely publicist down in sydney had a zoom call with me ages ago and she done the whole i'm gonna start shouting your name into the void and see who screens back um so before i do that like what publicity things are you comfortable with and i said to her like i'm a newborn baby i don't even know what that question means and she said well, like tv appearances for example would you be comfortable doing that and i went okay sure yeah. <laughs> that, that will never happen I was like, "Yeah, sure, I would love to go on Oprah," um, and she was like, "No, seriously, like I'll contact the news stations and things like that." She was like, "I'll oh, just contact them; it can't hurt." And I'm going, "Yeah, all right, you go for it, live your best life." And I went, "No, sign me up for everything." I'm thinking like, "There's no possible way," but I suppose they have to check with me. And and then I got this email back from her one day saying, "Saying these are the things that we've got lined up, and can you do this and that?" And then just at the very end of the email, she was like, "Very excitingly." The Morning Show from Channel 7 is interested in interviewing you. So I've sent the book along to their producers and uh, hopefully we can lock in a date. And I just read it and was like, (laughs) I don't understand. So is this actually a thing that will happen for for real? Or is this like a maybe like you've shoved the book in their face and hopefully they'll offer you an interview? And so I wrote back and asked that and she said, no, seriously. They like, no, it's a sure thing. We just have to pick a date. And it was... (laughs) I was like, why did they want to speak to me? What are we even going to talk about? But it's all just the social media thing. BookTok yeah. and Bookstagram's kind of just taken over and it's responsible for so much in the book industry. And, and it's piked interest like, everywhere, globally. It, it's turned a lot of heads. So we have, I have that to thank for it, and I so I got to talk about that, and then just ledge up in the background as I was talking. I should have brought the whole poster. Been like, <laughs> so did they mainly talk about the social media? Because Michael, your husband, went on with you, didn't he? And he's become a kind of internet star because of your yeah. posts. So did they mainly focus on the social media aspect? But you got a bit of a plug for the book, or I didn't. Actually yeah. So, but they wanted to know a little bit about book talk. So we talked about that they asked a couple of a couple of prickly questions about how social media has been blamed for the downfall of I guess reading which was like to me I was like that comment doesn't make sense to me and but it was only a couple of questions and then after that they said that I, I found a book deal through social media and so they wanted me to talk about that they wanted to uh they wanted to know what Ledge was about so that was really cool I got to do my little elevator pitch and got to hold up the book and They say congratulations and they can't wait to read it, which is bullshit. But anyway, it was very nice for them to say. So good. And they were so lovely. Like the the crew and the hosts and everything, everyone, they could not have been more welcoming or nicer to me. And I think I expected to go in with Devil Wears Prada scene where they didn't really... Um, no one really talked to me off camera and I was just shepherded in and shepherded out and but it wasn't that way at all. They were so friendly and their cameras cut and it went to a commercial break and she was, she like, wanted to hold the book and Tracy, she like who I love and, and she wanted to read the back of it. And she was like, congratulations, honestly, it was such an achievement. And she did her big seal, and she was like, let's take a selfie. And I like, it was honestly like one of the best experiences of my life, considering I was packing it before I had to go on. I was terrified. I was so nervous. <laughs> Um, and no one gave me a shot. I thought someone would give me a shot of alcohol. Someone in this building, like, going to have some kind of muscle relaxant, nothing. And it was just me and a cup of coffee and, like, the will to go on. And I'm somehow mad. But it was actually such a fantastic experience. And they did such a good job of making me feel, like, comfortable and relaxed that yeah. when I finally had to go out there and sit down, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And I just got to, you know, my mouth and say my thing and then hop off and they were so yeah. great so oh, yeah I think brilliant. it will remain like one of the highlights of this career however long it happens to last laugh <laughs> definitely <laughs> so talking of talking social media you in another interview you said that the book was really the result of mass peer pressure from your <laughs> followers to write the book so I'm kind of fascinated with that just, for listeners who don't know anything about it, just fill us in on your path to publication, how the book came to be written. It's quite a protracted, convoluted story. So, I'll just like, I'll give you the general gist of it. So, okay. I, I downloaded TikTok, found out what Book Talk was, which was its own little corner. I was very interested in it, followed a whole bunch of creators, and eventually got brave enough to start making my own content, which I did. Inexplicably grew this following that I didn't really expect. And I still blame it on my Australian accent. And I, yeah, and so I started thinking about what I should do with that following. And I originally, I just thought I'll, uh, hopefully I'll get some free books, like influencers do. That sounds great to me. I would like some of that. And my husband, Michael, I found out about it and said, what about all of those books that you've written and just left on your desktop? Like, why not? try and self-publish one of them you've now got an audience who might listen to you when you try and sell it to them and i thought okay but i'm like a businesswoman is not me like i i admire self-publishing so much but i had no idea what i was doing so i had so much research ahead of me and i was very lucky that i got to speak to other self-published authors that i'd met through tiktok and get their guidance because i needed a lot of it and stumbled my way along but i had this idea for the book ledge. It had been sitting on my brain for a little while. And because book talk is so fantasy and all romance based, I thought this will be perfect for that. So I sort of laid waste to the manuscripts that I had completed on my desktop and was like, no, I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to start a new one. Um, I also thought they were garbage. So I thought I better start a new one. So I did. And I made a TikTok just saying, I'm going to write a book. And it's going to be great. And it's not going to be crap. And it's going to have Good tropes, not bad tropes. And other than that, I said nothing else. And people were in the comments were just so supportive. And it's my favourite part about that community is that there really is such a big group of people that are just so willing to Jump on board and give you a shot and see if you can do it and see if they like your writing and I love that about them because it's not like there was anywhere on the internet that they could go to check if I could write. There was nothing for them to go and see if like my writing was going to be at all appealing to them. Um, so they just they were just going off, off good vibes. I think so. I I was very motivated to to write the book quickly. So I think I I'm quite a slow writer, but I wrote this book in about five months, which was me pretty fast yeah and uh, and i yeah and i did all this research and i was so set on self-publication and i finally had it edited i had a cover um i had a plan for pre-orders and thought i'm going to make a tiktok and i'm going to do a cover reveal and i'm also going to do a plot reveal because i hadn't actually told anyone like what the book was about or what it was called so i did it all in one tiktok expected the tiktok to flop and it didn't It, it went really well not viral but it got a significant amount of views and by the end of that week I had these pre-orders rolling in which was so exciting but I also had these three emails sitting in my inbox and one was from a literary agent who had seen the TikTok and the other two were from publishing houses who said who were all saying can we please read the manuscript and I because I have no idea what I'm doing in this industry was like sure and sent it to all three and thought I'll I won't ever hear back from them. I'd queried agents in publishing houses in the past with previous books and had heard nothing back. And I'm publishing this book in a month. They're not going to get back to me before then. But they did. The agent got back to me a week later and said that she wanted a meeting and in the meeting she said she wanted to sign me and it was under the provisor that she could help me with things like foreign translation rights, audiobook deals, things like that, things that I wasn't going to be able to do by myself at that point. I was still really trying to get my feet under me. And I casually mentioned to her that the manuscript was currently with two publishing houses who were also reading it. And she went, pardon, <laughs> excuse me, elaborate, what do you mean? And I said, these two publishing houses reached out and asked if they could read it. So they're reading it. And she said, do you want to trade publish? And I went, no, I'm, I'm going to self-publish. It's happening in a month. So like, it's It's a sure thing. And she, but one of the publishing houses got back to me and said that they were really interested in it. So I told the agent that and she said, give me a month, please delay the release of this book a month and let me see what deals I can find for you. And if I can find you deals, you can then compare and you can make a decision. But until you let me pitch it to publishing houses, you're not going to know. And I thought, oh, fair enough. So I I delayed the release of ledge and told the public nothing i literally just made some social media posts and said sorry guys but we're going to delay the release for a month i just yeah. need to pursue some possible opportunities or whatever and and no one cared everyone was like it's fine Stacey. we were actually um like holding our breath waiting for the release <laughs> of this book insulting but true um and so she went away and she came back and i thought there's no way like it, it takes more than a month to try and get publishing houses to read a pitch, then read the manuscript, then curate deals. It's not going to happen. But like about three weeks later, we had two deals on the table and I got to pick one. And It was really cool. And I thought this could be the only chance that I get to trade publish. I, I can always go back to self-publishing, but I don't know if I can always go back to trade publishing. This seems like I better take it. So I did. And I'm very glad that I did. So I signed a deal with Angry Robot Books and they signed all three books in the trilogy. And that's where we're at. That was about a year ago, and now it's the first book's out. So that's really wow. exciting. That's an amazing I story. I promised been. that I would keep that story short, and I failed. No, that yeah. was quite good. So, no, was it was good. I think people <laughs> are really interested. So give us your elevator pitch for Ledge, Stacey, because you said you've you've probably mastered it by now because you've done quite a <laughs> few interviews. You would think, wouldn't you? You'd think I'd master <laughs> it. <laughs> Not so much. I'll do my best. So Ledge is about a 24-year-old woman named Dawson, who lives as the last remaining member on her family as a captive in a place called The Ledge, which is this icy, hostile mountain shelf where the people are as dangerous as the environment that they try and survive in. And on top of that, once every season, these winged mountain creatures named Glacians fly onto The Ledge, snatch up random human sacrifices, take those humans away, and they're never seen again. We don't know what happens to them, and our story takes off when Dawson is inevitably selected by a Glacian taken away and there she learns what the hell is going on and begins her bid for escape. Yeah, and it's great because... You do get into the action really fast, which I love. The world building is incidental to the character building and the dialogue, which I think is perfect. So you get sucked into this book really quickly. Let's talk a little bit about Dawson because she's quite feisty, isn't she? And what I really liked about Dawson, actually, which I don't know whether anybody's told you this, not a lot of fantasy authors will allow their heroine to have casual, convenient sex before they meet their main character. And I'm not giving it's you It's true. Point. And I thought that was really refreshing because I've read a lot, obviously read a lot of fantasy, and you don't very often, they hold out for their main characters in the great romance. And I really loved that. Where did you get that idea from? Why, were you just, was it just? I, yeah, you're right in that, like the female main character. They're always like portrayed as quite virgin, mm. and I don't know whether what that's connected to. Religion, purity, maybe, I'm not sure. I, when I was thinking about who Dawson would be as a character in this book and other people on the ledge, I started thinking about what it would be like to live in that kind of environment where there was like quite a small population that was dwindling mm-hmm. and in an environment hostile. And if you were Dawson, then imagine what it would be like to be alone and, and be lacking companionship. It seemed feasible to me that she'd seek it somewhere, but that she'd probably do it in a pragmatic way. And she's quite a pragmatic character. And yeah. she almost dissociates herself from between her feelings and the things that she just needs to do. So it was her relationship with Hector in the beginning of the story where it is just like this casual sexual relationship that she has with another character on the ledge. And it's a person that means something to her that she considers a friend or an ally. But there's no romance attached to that. It's purely companionship. Like we're human beings, and I just think in a situation like that, I don't think a character would be considering marriage. Yeah. Uh, so it made sense to me that a 24-year-old woman who was isolated from other people and who feared for her safety and and found everyone else to be quite hostile. And th- it would make sense that she would probably seek out companionship from maybe the one person who she did trust and she did feel safe with. So that's how that relationship came about. It just didn't seem believable to me that Dawson was a character who was completely alone all the time despite being on this mountain shelf where there were other people. It made more sense to me that she would try and seek out at least someone. So that's how it came about to me. Yeah, no I loved it because it was really believable, I thought. So tell us about about your about Ryan because ryan is is hot <laughs> very hot He makes it very hot under the collar but he's this winged creature this glacier why why winged creatures where where on earth did that come from i don't know i just liked it now um, <laughs> yeah that's fair enough we've seen yeah built this world we talk about world building a lot in fantasy don't we and how it happens for me was that i really like survivalist tales And I really wanted to write one for myself. I find it really interesting thinking about what lengths the human will be willing to go to for survival. Like, Where is their limit? What crazy things will they do? How far will they push themselves? So I really wanted to write one about a female in that situation. I had the idea of uh, like a wintry, hostile, like this endless winter and a really snowy mountain. And so I also had the idea of instead of her objective being escaping that place what if she couldn't escape what if she was trapped there and and how would she survive and what kind of characters does that create because I wanted to trap her in this endless winter I constructed the ledge I thought well let's just chuck her onto a mountain shelf just for fun and we'll make the rock face unclimbable on one side and we'll put a great big chasm around the other side that she can't cross but because she's on this mountain ledge, I had to have a reason why she was there. So then I started thinking, like, what, like, how could a human possibly find themselves on this mountain shelf? So I thought about how like, maybe the humans could have originated in the valley in a place that was like much more fertile and it made sense for them to live. And if that was the case, how did they go from being in the valley to up on this mountain shelf? And I thought that maybe they could have been used as cattle, essentially, and herded there by a mythical creature or a fantasy creature. And I needed something that could fly to get over the chasm. So, yeah. <laughs> hence yeah. the Glacian who have wings and Ryan, the love interest, being one of them. So he just happens to have wings. And I don't mind it. I don't know what it mm. is about m- men with wings, but I've quite a few face yeah. stories. So it wasn't something abnormal to me, mm. but I also didn't set out riding ledge thinking like, mm, the dudes are going to have wings. Yeah. And that's that. That's what, it, just, it. Was it was more purposeful? Yeah. At least that's what I'm telling myself. But Ryan isn't a pure breed, is he? He's a half breed, so he's not pure. Where did that idea come from? The idea that because because that is a kind of trope in fantasy that you get the person who isn't fully accepted by society. It's almost like a, almost a necessity of a lot of stories. Did you yeah already know at the start that he was going to be a half breed, or did that come about in the writing? It was more the class system, system within the kingdom of Glacier. So I knew that in with those winged creatures that are called Glacians who live in their kingdom, which is called Glacier, I knew that I wanted them to have a very, very strong class system and I wanted there to be a big dev- just to make the evil one seem more evil. So it was more about class and I started thinking about why that class system would be there. And then the idea of blood quantum came into the came into the picture. So I started thinking about the typical Glacians that Dawson, the main character, had been used to seeing as like these white, um, like pale, almost reptilian looking in terms of like their skin color and no hair color, no eye color. And just like these creatures that have been completely sapped of whatever it was that was making them human previously. I had the image of them. And then I thought, what if, What if there was a subcategory of them? What if there was, like, or a diluted section of them? So I started thinking about, like, factions between Glacians, and it just made sense. I think that's the natural progression that we see in fantasy where you can be half of one thing and half of another and how that kind of automatically sets up that particular character for a lot of internal conflict. And I love a male un- in love interest that has a lot of internal conflict. Yes. So I decided to yeah make the male love interest a half-breed, as his enemies call him, or a hybrid, as Dawson calls him with love and affection, or one of the mixed race, as the rest of the glacians in the colony call themselves. So he's part of a much bigger race. Um but yeah, I just wanted there to be a really strong class system, and ho- hoping that would fuel a fire in that character, and because he ends up going to war, so yeah, <laughs> he sort of needed a reason behind that as well. And as far as your other characters go, you've got queens who rule the valley, and those queens are incidentally queer queens, which I found really refreshing because mm. it wasn't like made a big deal of. They just are. Was mm. that something you consciously put in because it is. It's very current at the moment, isn't it, to have incidentally queer characters, especially in fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, I did. The reason being that I wanted to represent all kinds of love in this story or in any story, and fantasy allows me to construct a world where... No one really bats an eye if they were queer yeah. queens. Uh, but the other thing is you, you mentioned how you put queer characters in there incidentally and it's not made a big deal out of And that Part of that reason is that I'm not queer. I'm an ally. And yeah. that doesn't allow me to tell a story from a queer person's perspective about their journey as a queer person. Mm. It needs to be incidental. That's the best way that I can represent that community is yeah. by putting it in and making it as it should be accepted yeah. tolerated celebrated that's all that we can do as authors if we want to be good allies to the lgbtq so yet yeah, what i set out to do was just to represent different kinds of love as we see it in the real world yeah no absolutely and i but i think there is a lot of fear at the moment around like straight writers putting in queer characters and I think the way you've expressed it is really great in that I don't have the right to tell their story but I have the right to put them in as incidentally queer characters which is a great way of looking at it because everybody's a bit frightened of stepping on toes and appropriating narrative and things like that yeah uh, I just find that and I really completely refreshing. understand that for you yeah absolutely so what about your inspiration as a creative what writers or movies that have played a big part in influencing you as a writer Ooh, let me see I get asked this question a lot and it never gets easier to answer because it varies probably
1: the answer changes
0: name Name an author right now and I'm like I have Don't remember any. I was a big fan of series like Wheel of Time growing up. I tried to read The Game of Thrones. I tried to read the Hobbit books and I read The Lord of the Rings. I was big fans of books like that. I like to think that they shaped a love for fantasy, although my writing is nothing like that. I, I... or at least I don't think it is in good ways, and but mostly in bad ways. Like I, I, I could never write the way that those the great authors before me write. But sometimes that's a good thing. For example, like when they're describing a woman's breasts, I feel like I do that better. Or but, you do ten uh, pages of Tom Bombadil or the yeah. forest. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. I'm looking at my bookshelf for inspiration. Yeah. Um, I love Madeline Miller, and. Yeah. Um, and all of her books i devour them and adore her prose as well i love v schwab i think she's such a fantastic female author modern female author as well who writes fantasy and i think those authors are more important to me and as i found as i got i think when i started writing when i was around 18 i thought the most important thing that i could do was read fantasy written by people who lived not in this time, or that were well advanced in their career. And I'm quickly learning that I actually relate much more to female authors who write fantasy or romance now and write it really well. Uh, yeah, V.E. Schwab and Madeline Miller have been um, huge inspiration for me. Renee Adir, as well, who yeah. wrote uh, The Wrath and the Dawn duology. I, I really love that duology. And oddly enough, I love Emma Donoghue, who does not write fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> But I she's another one of my most favourite authors. Yeah. And I love Hannah Hannah Witten and Kristen Hannah. Yeah. Which is very confusing, but Kristen Hannah writes mostly historical fiction. I'm a huge historical fiction fan. I love historical fiction. And Hannah Witten wrote the For the Wolf Yes, book I've She's read that. For the Wolf and For the yeah, and her yeah. second book's out. That's great to hear some of your influences, stay. So. As far as your own books, though, you've made quite a big deal in your social media about tropes, good tropes and bad tropes. And have to say, some of your TikToks are hysterical. I absolutely love them. A lot of the tropes that you talk about, you know, I know exactly what, where they're coming from and what you're talking about. And they're actually tropes I love as well, like yeah. the enemies to lovers thing. But I loved the one you did after Bridgerton, which was The Scent. What do you smell, Michael, like when I pass you? Yeah. <laughs> my, my smell affect you. Can you talk a little bit about your favourite tropes and why they made the cut into the book? My uh, my favourite uh, tropes didn't necessarily make it into the cut, but two of my favourite tropes are Enemy to Lovers, of course, and the little trope attached to that, which is Fox Proxim- uh, the false proximity trope. I love talking to people that presumably hate each other and then, Making their ceremony run wild when you shove them really close together. That scene will never not be fun to write. That's always, it's always such a good one. But I love the Sound Family trope. I like being able to cast a whole bunch of ragtag characters together and, and the banter that gets thrown around between those characters is always really fun too. So those are my two favorite things to read as well as write. So they made it into Ledge, but there were a couple of others that didn't necessarily in it because I talk about tropes a lot on book talk, and that's just because they're really fun <laughs> to yeah. talk about. But I also didn't want Wedge or any book that I've ever written. I, like it feels a little inauthentic to cherry pick book tropes that you really like and try and make a plot fit around those things. And mm. um, I feel like it would create some of a Frankenstein lobster of a book. I didn't do that. I, I made sure that I, the tropes that did go in were just there they just happened to be in there or so they made sense yeah that's I, I really I quite like the scent true and it's not something that I put into the book because it, I <laughs> because it didn't really make sense I yeah. like any time I thought about Dawson and Rhino I was like I would have to assume they smell pretty bad at this point yeah in the meantime, they've so been on the stuff. run <laughs> quite a long time through the forest so, I really like that. I really love second chance romance. And, and that's not really a very popular opinion, I don't think. I know people get frustrated reading about relationships a bit on and on again, off again. But I really, I don't know what it is about second chance romance, but I really love reading stories um, that have that trope in it where they, maybe they were high school sweethearts or something like that. And they had this young love that gets tabled for a certain mm-hmm. period of time and then mm-hmm. they get to come back together and um, a little look bit more mature a bit wider but I will read that story a thousand times over yeah I actually agree I I really love that trope as well yeah it's the kind of persuasion it's the persuasion trope isn't it really exactly yeah I really love that and um what else do I really like you have a variation of the only one bed trope I do in like because they they have very small spaces they have to sleep in so it's kind of like you're you know woodland equivalent of only one bed <laughs> yeah there weren't two caves side my side to share yeah. the one case
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's close enough i do love the one bed trip. i weirdly i enjoy it when any female character ends up threatening the license and love interest <laughs> that tends to only work in fantasy i'll admit it's, it's a bit bed. weird if you throw that into a rom gum. I really love that. So that was an alleged lot. So you get to do that quite easily if you have fantasy and enemies to love. Is that part of the deal? So that was quite easy to intertwine. And I did that on purpose. I was like, oh yeah. She's gonna threaten me with life a lot. What? I'm gonna set as many times as I can put him in there. Yeah, and that's another thing that I don't think I'd ever get sick of reading. I like the, the tension that comes with that. Yeah. When you write, do you see your books in filmic terms? Are you a very fish? Yeah. Yeah, very visual. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's why I probably love it so much um, is that, it, that, for me, it's pure entertainment even when you're writing. It's the same experience for me as when I'm reading a book. If I'm in the flow oh. of it. If I'm not and it's, I'm just plodding along and trying to get through a writer's book, then I, it's likely that I'm not really visualizing much of anything and I'm just trying to break through the, to the next part where it seems to flow nicely but yeah if, if i'm in a good state of flow when i'm writing then yes very visual very cinematic yeah and do you i mean like this is a trilogy that ledge is the first book of the trilogy do you know exactly w- what's going to happen and do you plot yeah it? so i am a pretty heavy plotter um you are I'm also a control freak so i think those two things probably go hand in hand it makes me very anxious yeah. to think about other people who may or may not write series of books <laughs> who just say, uh, hopefully it will resolve itself in books. That <laughs> my mind. Is that <laughs> you? That's me. Lo- blows my mind. I'm like, are you not panicking right now? Panicking. I didn't know the ending. I didn't know the ending to the branded until I wrote it. That's, to me, what? with mm, love and affection, that's in vain. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I think I would be a nervous wreck. I'm the nervous wreck. And to <laughs> each so I just learned to live with being a nervous wreck. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, I'm very heavy. What up? Um, anytime anyone asks me this question, if anyone in my real life who knows me quite well is listening, they always break into laughter when someone, do you plan and organize your book sale? that does she? It, It looks like a psycho's house over here. There are pinboards, string attached, the whole thing. Yeah, I'm a pretty like strategic, organized person. I like to map out everything in life in general. So it makes sense that I do in books as well. So I usually, I have a full chapter breakdown of what's going to happen. It's just subject to change though. So quite often when I'm writing, even though I had a very nicely formulated plan, it tends to, it gets off the track. Yes, girl. Oh, well, I okay. guess so we're back to the drawing board, but I thought I'd always uh, head back to the outline and make adjustments as I go along so I can keep track of it. You still have and the ability, even when you're plotting, and then you go away and write what you've got to write. Do right? so you still have that ability to get this really surprising, organic stuff happening in the book that takes you by surprise? Or do you really... The chapter, think the outline, outline, might, the chapter outline might just say things like, Dawson and Ryan forced, pro- forced proximity scene in a case. Yeah, Dawson and Ryan decide like where they will travel to next. It might just have those two bullet points, and so in my head, I'll, I know what that means. I know that it means that they need to go here, they need to do this, they need to be some kind of conversation. Blah 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 blah. So it's not a full like they will have step by step what's going to happen in each scene or in each chapter. It's just what the goal of the chapter is. You know, I need to know. Oh, Margaret plotter. Maybe I've been, like, completely guided about this the whole time in that I just thought everyone wrote, like, a whole page of what was going to happen That's I don't think so. I'm sure there's some people that do that, but, like, some people have seen my chapter outlines and they're like, wow, you've really gone in depth before you've even started writing the book. Like, yeah, I need to know, like, if I'm going to sit down and try and, and punch out a chapter today. I want to know what the chapter is going to be about. Otherwise, I'm probably just going to yeah. flounder for a good 45 minutes before I even start writing. Yeah. It's more of an efficiency thing for me. I just need to know. So, yeah, there's definitely elements of surprise to it. I always, in my head, I'm like, I know what needs to happen in these themes or in these chapter, But as you're writing a scene, something might just pop out in the dialogue or something just, and you're like, oh, that was unexpected. I'll go make some amendments then. And you go back to the outline and keep tweaking it as you go along. Yeah. I heard someone use the term pantser not that yeah. not that long ago. Remembering I'm pretty new to the game. But I thought you, you're you either a plotter or a pantser in that you fly by the seat of your pants. But then they said you can also be a planter. And I'm like, what's the planter? No, I can say a plotter and a pantser in that in, you don't plot heavily and you don't fly by the seat of your pants. But you... Plant an idea and you need to see what grows from it. And I kind of liked that interpretation as well because I feel like there's yeah. probably a fair amount of authors that would call themselves a photo or repeat that they're somewhere in between. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I guess I am somewhere in between as well. Yeah. And that, I don't like wasted time. And time's precious. And especially you've got young children, you've got a part time, pretty full on part time teaching job. So when you do sit down to write, you need to know what the hell you're doing because you cannot afford to waste an hour. Just yeah, to, it's nothing more frustrating real. to me than finding some free, free time and then not using it the way that I thought that I could or getting to the end of that hour and going, great, I've got 15 words today. Like, yeah. yeah. That's really yeah. a thought of great frustration to me. So I just like knowing what's going to happen next so I can get into it. And do you write chronologically? Do you have to lock off a chapter and then move on to the next one like that? Or do you, can you write scenes in different spots? I, every now and then, if I find myself in a writer's block, a, a tactic of getting myself out of that would be to write a scene that I've been really looking forward to, and it might not have be in chronological order. Or I might write the entire thing chronologically, but get to the end and realize there's a theme that I want to add or a, a scene, scene that I need to add it and then you go back and add the scene. So in that sense, I guess that's not so much chronological. So tell me where you are with the books, because those who've read Ledge are desperate for the next book, including myself. Is that written and going through editorial, like structural edits, yeah. line edits? Where are you at with book two? So again, it's structural and developmental edits right now. So we've got the draft done and sent, sent off. Then it's going through its little first phase of editing. And I love it. I can't, I can't wait for people to read it because I think it's my best work. I say that every time I write a book for a little minute, I get a little ego kick and go. "Is my best work, yet?" Yeah, and then the edit note come back and I'm like, oh, maybe not. But right now, I'm riding on the fire of so I'm going to stay with that for as long as it lasts. Yeah, I can't wait for people to read it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And when will it be out? It's tabled for the the 12th of September 2023. So you're on, like me, a book a year at the moment. Yeah. And I'm, again, like you, I have a a three-day-a-week job. I don't know about you, but I'm toying with whether I can even cope with that at the moment. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Every day. <laughs> um, yeah, like, but I, my kids have grown up. Your kids are still un- primary school age. So that's toll as well. How important do you think working? Because I'm reluctant to give up my day job because I think it's really important to stay grounded and connected to the world. And also I need to stand up and not sit on my ass all day. <laughs> Just from a health point of view. So I really love my, I'm a teacher as well. And I love uh, my teaching job and I'm really reluctant to give it up. And it also provides me with some great material and connection to human beings. And yeah, how do you feel about your, would you like to give it up? Or I've always said that, oh, there's been so many points this year that I'm like, I'd love to drop it altogether. But I think that comes from a place of me being severely overwhelmed. When i sit back and sort of have a little bit of distance, from all the workload coming from every direction. And it all seems to pile up on you all at once. You know, the report cards are due and parenting yeah. interviews are, coming, and, you know, you've got edits due and they want publicity things and it's oh, too much. And yeah. um, when I get the distance of it I look back, I feel the same way. I would like to go from three days to two days. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, um, I, next year my youngest gets to go to primary school, he hasn't started yet. So, this year when I've been at home, he's been at home with me. That's been oh, the other oh. challenging thing is that he has it on my days off. He's here, I've still got a little minion yeah. that needs to be cleaned and lost Um, but next year he'll be at full five days a week, so I'll have two days a week at home in a nice house myself. You won't I'm know yourself. Oh, I, I won't know myself, so I'm, I'm hoping that next year will again be a little easier this year's been a little easier than the year before I'm hoping next year will be a little easier than this year but I feel I just have this feeling that if I dropped a due day two days a week at school that would be like my I'd be living my best life I'd find my work-life balance that would be optimal for me whether or not financially I can do that I don't mm-hmm. know so yeah I don't know how like how you find it but three days for me and then all oh, we're, we're full-time authors. I'm a part-time writer and a part-time teacher. The truth is that I'm a part-time teacher and I'm a full-time author. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the time, last time I had a full weekend off because I'm always doing something either with edits or publicity or Interviews. But yeah, just the meetings and the correspondence involved in it, the publicity, the social media needs to be kept up with. Yeah. All the things. There's so much that goes on behind scenes and that's not even beginning to talk about actually writing. That's just all the background noise. Yeah. Yeah, There are very many other things that go into it. I agree. A full weekend, I don't know. It's been a long time. Um, Yeah. I two. Two days is my goal. Two days teaching and three days writing. Yeah. That's the goal for me because I agree I would like to keep that connection. I still love teaching. Um, I love writing more, but I still love teaching. And I don't think I could sit on my butt five days a week. Yeah. And punch out words. I might go crazy, crazier. Yeah. And I have had periods where I've, been, I've had full-time writing time. And I don't get any more done. It's that classic phrase of, you know, give a busy person a job to do. They'll get it done. Yeah. You're done. So, yeah, it's. I think it's a dream that a lot of writers have to write full time, but it's not necessarily practically achievable, I think. It's not efficient. It's not efficient and it's not healthy, I think, as well. I don't think our brains are wired to be able to write so that well, either. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you think you can feasibly continue with a book a year? That is pretty full on anyway for even a full-time writer. i found it at one point. It's like when you say, you talk about, when I, you sit back and you're looking at it, it seems okay. But at that, those points where you just feel so totally overwhelmed, you just go, I don't know whether I can do this. I can't do a book a year. But that is actually what fans want, if not more. There are some self-published authors who are printing out two books a year. Yeah. And there's self-published authors that are putting out six books a year, but they're also doing it full time. Yeah, I can see myself burning out like quite quickly. Right now, I don't feel like I will. I don't think like the burnout is imminent. I see it being, like I said, with my two days next year in a nice quiet house, I can see me balancing being a little easier than what I've been doing previously. I also feel like I've got a bit more of a handle on things now and now that my first book's out and I sort of gained a rudimentary knowledge of the ropes and the way things work. Mm -hmm. I feel like going into the next book will be a little less shocking. Mm -hmm. So there's that working for me as well. I have an idea of what's ahead so I can plan for that. But, yeah, the burnout is threat absolutely. Oh, Mm -hmm. for sure. And if I I have to go back to work full-time, which I... I don't plan to. I'm hoping that I can continu- continue doing this, what I'm doing now, at least, but financially, if I need to, there's no way that it's going to be a book a <laughs> year. It's not feasible. I know many people that can work two full-time jobs and raise a family health in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah. I uh, no, I don't think, yeah. I don't think feasibly I could do it. I'm hoping that I can do it on a schedule that I've got now. So time will tell. whether or not that will happen. But uh, yeah, Yeah. I'm not going to be the cocky person that fits here and be like, oh, yeah, no worry. I will be here. Right now, doable. Yeah. That's the best I can say for it, though. Yeah, I mean, there is quite a lot on the internet at the moment, isn't there, writers starting to talk about burnout and doing a few podcasts on self-care for writers and just realizing that you've got to have a nice in-between pumping these books out because of course. we don't switch off because it's our own business. It's like your own business that you're constantly promoting. But yeah, Absolutely. what is uh, your top advice for emerging writers? I always like to ask writers this because I think there's so many emerging writers who listen to these podcasts and are really interested in what they can glean. I know that I used to hang off my favorite writers' advice when I was uh, an up coming writer. So what would you say your top tip or imagine what it should be. Um, I my something that I've told people is, and I know not think people probably think I'm going to say, get on social media. That's my top advice. I think that's half of the course. Everyone knows now that if is a career that you want, then you probably need to be on social media. Other than that though, if social media is already a thing that you've jumped on board with, then you're trying to promote yourself and get yourself engaged with the community then I think the next thing that you need to do as an emerging writer is be prepared to write really badly before you can write well. And don't be scared of it. I have done a sacrificial venue of many manuscripts that I've written terribly, but I wouldn't. And I'm not saying that I'm writing like an absolute professional now. I've got to, still got a lot of work that I need to do. That every time I write a manuscript, I think it's noticeably better. And I, if I had to rent the third one and then gone, oh, actually, this is terrible, so I'm going to give up, then I wouldn't be a better writer now. I think there's something to be said to put in your 10,000 hours worth of crap. So just be prepared to write through and write mediocre, write terribly, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just watch it change and watch it develop and never stop reading. Yeah, and I think we can possibly become better writers if we're not readers. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Totally agree. And that's great advice. And uh, just a final thing in the fantasy world. What would be the book you wished you'd written? Mm-hmm. It was your, your, one of your top reads of all time or one that you have a lot of admiration for. I... A lot, as as I know that there is a lot. Uh, so we have a, a one. Have you read the night circus? Yeah. Yeah. I that's a good one. I, I thought that was such a good book. And I remember when I read it, I thought I wish I had a thought of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard a book where you're just oh, I wish I had a thought of this idea. Yeah. But I, I, I like the circus internet. And I remember thinking that at the time of reading I was like, damn it. Yeah. There's, it's <laughs> got a massive fan base, that book, and there's yeah. some beautiful anniversary editions that have just come out recently. Actually. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's so pretty. Um, I think mine would be, actually not as strictly, it's more a grounded fantasy, but the book that I just adored I, the moment I started reading it, I was like, oh my God, I wished I'd written this book. And it it's The Binding by Bridget Collins. I don't know if you've right, heard of it. I haven't read it, but, read it though. Yeah, it's so good. It's set in like a kind oh, of Victorian England fantasy well. Victorian. And it's about these bookbinders who have the ability to, they take down people's stories. But in the process of writing, uh, scribing their stories, they are able to take away memories, their memories. And those memories sometimes salubrious and quite become erotica and they're traded on this Victorian black market. And it's just the most amazingly written. Isn't this? Oh, fine. I'll add it to this. ABR. Yeah, a fantastic concept, but also beautifully written, great language. And yeah, I absolutely love that book. Yeah, so Stacey, it's been amazing talking to you. I loved the book. I think everybody should immediately go out and buy it and read it. And can't wait for book two. And I wish you all the best with writing and finishing that and getting on to book three so we can find out what happens. Watson and Ryan, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, everyone can go out and buy the branded as well. Oh, thank you. You are just quickly on the last note, you I know you're appearing yeah uh, Brisbane. You can over soon, aren't you? Are you on the cards for that? Yes, I am. And what else have we got? We've got a the printable convention in Brisbane summing up very soon. We've got Bay Book Tour in New South Wales happening next year. I think there's a couple of other things on the card, but it's all on my website. If they go to to Sega it's in the news section on there and they could go on and have a look at, at everything yeah. that's coming up. And just tell everyone your handles for social media yeah. again. Yeah, it's Facebook Space or at StacebookSpace Space on Instagram and on TikTok. Brilliant. All right, Stace, we'll look forward to hearing from you again and hopefully you come back on the show and tell us about the book too. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome.
1: Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at w4wpodcast, the Facebook page, Writes for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end.